Oh, I look forward to the day where we finish a pastoral prayer. We say amen and we all stand up and we look for those around us and we grab them by the hand and with unveiled faces we just we uh, share God's love with one another. If you can't tell already, I'm a little bit a little bit tired of the pandemic. Is anybody else? Is, is you getting a little bit? Yeah, <laughs> Clark's holding up two hands. He wanted another one so he could hold up three hands. But if you're like me, you're tired, and you hear those expressions. We're not at our best when we're worn out. We're not at our best when we're frustrated. And it just seems to go on and on. Uh, recently, the news, they were all, because the news loves it. You know, the, the media, there's, to them, bad news is their bread and butter. They love it. And they'll just give it to you and give it to you day and night. And they were celebrating because they're the media and that's what they're excited about. That we just went through the, the one year anniversary of locking us up. First time in human history with an illness where we decided in our wisdom to, uh, lock up the healthy people not the sick people the healthy people worldwide we're going to lock the whole world up somebody came up with that idea and now the best studies show that we're going to be dealing with the injurious effects of that misguided uh, decision for at least 15 years that the deaths are going to keep coming and the deaths not from covid but from the response to covid will eventually far outstrip the virus itself and so we know that people read and they know our leaders do the best they can and we pray for our leaders, but it just seems to be too much. When I was a boy, I loved cartoons. Uh, I loved my parents, but for me, after school, my guardian was not my mom or my dad. My guardian was our old television. I would come home from school, grab a snack, and afternoon cartoons would be on. Not these neutered cartoons you get today but the old-fashioned violent ones i love them looney tunes and tom and jerry i hear there's a new tom and jerry movie out but in those days that cat and mouse would go at it hammer and tong and they would give each other hot irons to the face and shotguns oh it was gruesome but we loved it and among all of those cartoons and if you know me you know i'm not kidding about that i collect them and everything among those cartoons i loved popeye the original Popeye, the Popeye that was born in 1929 during the heights of the Depression as a, as a walk-on character in a comic strip called Thimble Theater. He wasn't even the main character for a long time. The main character was Olive Oil's brother, Castor Oil. And, uh, and their parents, their dad was Cole, Cole Oil, and their mother was Nana. Nana oil, coal oil, castor oil. They had an uncle in Africa. He was an explorer. He had two names. His first name was Lubri, and his middle name was Kent. He was Lubricant Oil. <laughs> it was it was genius. But uh, I love Popeye. He, he was a walk-on character, and eventually he took over the whole comic strip and the cartoons and became world famous. But do you remember when when he was frustrated and fed up he would say, that's all I can stand. I can't stands no more. And I could actually imitate it and do it really well, but that would be too horrible to see on YouTube later and I won't embarrass everybody. That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. I would hear my dad once in a while get frustrated with my mom. And he loved the, the remember that song of Jerry Lee Lewis, Great Balls of Fire, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis? 
my dad, when he'd be frustrated with my beloved mom, you know, and it was always she was doing something for his own good, but he wouldn't see it that way. He'd always, all of us kids knew what dad would say. He'd say, great balls of fire, Marilyn. And, you know, he would just, we thought it was so funny. Well, that's how we feel. We're tired. We're fed up. We want to just be set free. Just leave us alone. Let us be set free to live our lives. And today, being Palm Sunday, you think, well, that's what Pastor Alan should talk about, Palm Sunday. And that's what I am talking about. Because Palm Sunday is the story of a group of people who are fed up. That's all they could stand. They couldn't stand anymore. And they just wanted somebody to set them free. And they thought Jesus was the one. Now, that beautiful picture you see there, that's kids today celebrating Palm Sunday. As Christians and pilgrims do during the Easter season, we often either live palms or we go to the, uh, you order them through the florist. You can get a bundle of palm branches and you give them out to the kids. Or probably more safely, you have plastic or paper palm branches. I learned that the hard way in Medicine Hat, Temple Baptist Church. We ordered a big pile of palm branches from the from the florist and the greenhouse and and we gave them out to the kids and the kids were going to be so cute waving those palm branches but very quickly the little boys found that if you whip each other with palm branches you could actually cut one another open those palm leaves were like knives along the edges and so we had a mob of little children armed with dangerous weapons beating each other and blood being shed and and it was it was a lot like the original Palm Sunday with the Romans and violence and you know so after that we went back to paper or plastic palm branches <laughs> Palm Sunday the palm I just want to move on from there to the original Palm Sunday people fed up and longing to be free I call today's message longing to be free Longing to be free. There's somebody, it could be anybody during the COVID pandemic, somebody inside wanting to be free, wanting to go out. It might be one of our beloved seniors who for their own good, we locked them up in jail and threw away the key and don't let them see their families so that they deteriorate mentally, emotionally, and physically. And they just want to be set free. If you gave them the choice, they'd say, I would take my chance in a minute with any virus but just don't take away my grandkids and my loved ones. They're the only reason I'm still alive today. They're the only reason I'm here. I'm longing to be free. Well, it's a year of lockdowns and restrictions. I think today we are primed to focus on Palm Sunday and the message of it like never before, at least in my lifetime. For the first time, we really get a taste. It's just a taste. I don't want you to think I'm equating today with Judea in Jesus' time, but there are parallels. We know what the people were experiencing. Uh, It's on a scale. Obviously, they were uh, much more put upon than we are today, but you'll see what I'm talking about. I want to talk about the people of Judea, the people that celebrated that first Palm Sunday, the arrival of Jesus uh, into into uh, Jerusalem for the great festival. The week before the festival, Sunday, Jesus rolls into town. I want to look at the people. First, they were a people in bondage. They truly were a people in bondage. And whether at home or here, if you look at that beautiful emblem on the screen, 
an image in gold of an eagle. That is the imperial standard of the oppressors of God's people. That is the standard of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, you know it's the Romans. Number one, it's the golden eagle. In Latin, the eagle is Aquila. That's the name of one of the early apostles, Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila, the eagle of Rome, the golden standard. And they uh, refused to put this away, even though a graven image like this would offend the Jewish people who wanted no part of idols. They would proudly, the soldiers would always march in and occupy the countries with the golden eagle of Rome. Uh, over their troops. And that's letters S-P-Q-R. Have you ever wondered why the Romans, that's always on their standards? Well, that's the initials. That stands for Senatus Publicus Quae Romanus, the Senate and people of Rome. That's who the soldiers were representing. They were the pointy edge of the spear for the people of Rome. They carried out the often violent and bloody will of the Roman Senate and later the Roman Emperor. That's who we're talking about. And they came into Israel, a land that they found as a free nation, and they subdued it. And they put it in a bondage and they oppress them. Now, we think of this period that Jesus lived in. That's one of the golden ages of history, actually. It's called the Peace of Rome. The Romans coined that term. It shouldn't surprise us that men like Cicero and others coined the term Pax Romana. Pax means peace. Romana, of course, is of Rome, the Peace of Rome. 200 years The Pax Romana kept all major wars at bay. There were a lot of conflicts, but it was mostly to subdue their own people. I have a a slide I want to show you of the Pax Romana and the effect that it had on God's people. Uh, Is that next, Kendi, or is next the, uh, the passage from Luke? Put the next slide up, whatever it is. Just throw it up there. It's the Pax Romana. I didn't change that. All right, this is the Pax Romana. It kicked off in 27 BC. Why 27 BC? That's when the great Roman Civil War finished and a man named Augustus, his name had been Octavius, but he became the first Roman emperor, Augustus, and it finished, those 200 years of peace finished in 180 when the last of the good Roman emperors, Marcus Aurelius, died. The Pax Romana. But what did it mean for Judea where Jesus and God's people dwelled? Judea was oppressed. They were under the iron boot of the Romans. Three areas you look at their oppression. First was political. Uh, They were under Roman rule. They were under a form of Roman rule as early as 60 B.C., In 130 BC, if you have a Bible, perhaps it has the Jewish Apocrypha. It's not a Catholic portion of your Bible. The Apocrypha, including 1st and 2nd Maccabees, are Jewish intertestamental literature. And they tell the story of the rebellion of the Jews against the Greeks. The Greeks were the people of Alexander the Great who had conquered the, the, uh, the, the world around the Mediterranean Sea. And the Jewish people wanted to throw off those foreign Greek oppressors, just like the Romans did later. And, and they did that. 
In fact, they did it with the help of an upcoming superpower named Rome. Rome had helped God's people be free. And they were a free kingdom, the Jewish kingdom, the Maccabean or Hasmonean kingdom, for about 70 years. And then one of the great Romans of history, a general named Pompey, was in the area. He just happened to be in the area. In fact, he was forming the Roman province of Syria just north of Israel. He'd been there to fight a war, push back the Parthians, and form a new Roman province. And then he heard about this little free country, that Jewish kingdom to the south. The queen had died and left two sons, Aristobulus and Hyrcanus. And these two brothers went to war at each other. And so he says, well, while I'm in the neighborhood, it's not that difficult for me and my Roman legions. I'll just march down the coast and settle this little dispute. And so Pompey went in, stopped the civil war, brought peace back to Israel. But while he was there, he besieged and conquered Jerusalem. The first thing he did was march into the temple and he asked, what's behind that giant curtain? Well, nobody can go there but the high priest one day a year. That's the Holy of Holies. He said, obviously, you've never heard of Rome. We can go wherever we want. So they drew aside the curtain. General Pompey went into the Holy of Holies, desecrating it, looked around, said it was empty. There's nothing there for him to take. And so he marched out. And after that, they were under Rome. And in fact, in 6 BC, after the death of Herod the Great, they became a Roman province. They were completely Roman. They no longer even had Jewish puppet kings. They had Roman governors or Roman ethnarchs or tetrarchs like uh, Antipas and others. They were under Rome. They were occupied by Roman legions, especially the Galilee. That's where the great camps of the soldiers were. That's why people from Jerusalem and Jesus' day looked down at the Galileans because all of those unclean, unwashed Gentiles, especially those Roman soldiers. That's why we see Jesus uh, healing centurions, servants, and so forth, and having interaction with Roman soldiers because the Galilee was like an armed camp. They were occupied. They were oppressed. They were no longer free in any way politically. It was bad and getting worse in Jesus' time. Well, economically, taxes. That was the worst part of the economic oppression. And the reason is that uh, they set the taxes in a strange way. Remember, I have a passage on the screen. I think it's on the screen uh, from the... Uh, is that the passage? Well, we'll see. There it is. Thank you, Candy. Luke 2, 1 to 3. In those days, this is purely Roman. We always think of it as a Christmas passage, but this is a Roman political historical passage. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. You get that? Israel's not free. They're part of the Roman world. This was the first census took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to his own town to register. That's why Jesus couldn't be born in Nazareth, Nazareth they all had to go to their home of origin. And that's why he was born as prophesied in Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus needed to count his subjects, whether they wanted to be or not, so he could tax them. He set the tax rate to support Rome and their legions and their way of life. But then they did something terrible. They didn't collect the taxes. They hired people to. They say, this is the tax 
as long as you get it to us, we know what's, we've counted the people now. We took a census. We know what you owe us. And now we hire tax collectors and give them the authority to uh, collect whatever tax they want. Whatever they collect above the Roman tax, they get to keep that. And so the tax collectors, they collected terrible, unfair, high taxes and put such a great burden on the people. Finally, not only was the, uh, the, the oppression politically and economically, but it was religiously as well. Judaism wasn't a religion of Rome. It was an Eastern superstition that the Romans tolerated. They didn't believe in the true God. They had their pagan gods that they had inherited from Greece. And they only tolerated, Judaism tolerated only in its own land, in its homeland, by the pagan state. The practice of religion was completely controlled by the Romans. They either allowed you to practice it or not. It was their choice. If you had any kick against the government, you had to go underground and they would persecute you and kill you over it. Well, you could see why the people, the day Jesus rode into town, apparently coming as the Messiah, that they celebrated a freedom from oppression. And why do I say that even in just a small way, you understand this passage better than you ever have before? Because you live in a time of restrictions. Your free movement and practices are being restricted by an all-powerful government and government agencies. All-powerful. We don't have the Pax Romana. We have Pandemic Canada. And that's what today. It began in the year 2020. Do you remember back then? And it continues, well, as long as they can. They will continue it. This is the Pandemic Canada. We are being curtailed. Our citizens are restricted. Our charter freedoms, which you think are guaranteed in the Constitution, forget those. Those are suspended, set aside, not by Parliament, just by executive fiat. Parliament doesn't really meet for much anymore. Uh, we're ruled by unelected experts for our own good. Parliament's paralyzed, doing very little. Economically, well, we don't have to tell you that the private sector has been devastated, not the public sector. You may have to get by on a pittance or CERB or whatever, but those who are making the big decisions, they get paid the same as they always did. Private sector jobs, businesses devastated. Private and public debt are soaring. These bailout packages, eventually those chickens are going to come home to roost. We may know it, but we're not dealing with it. We're just ignoring it for the time being. Well, religion, this has nothing to do with religion, or does it? Well, guess again, we're at 15% capacity because the practice of religion is curtailed and severely limited as non-essential. You may be on your deathbed, but only if they let you and the charge nurse happens to you know, really have time that day. Well, you get to go be with your loved one. They keep saying they're changing the rules, but they're difficult. And so much has happened in this last year to show that you, as a person of faith, are deemed non-essential. And the great philosophical message behind all of this is that spirituality doesn't really count. Only physical health is important. The mental, emotional, spiritual devastation that our, that our policies cause those are to be ignored and overlooked. Only physical health, because that's all they really believe in, I think. Well, the fact is, C.S. Lewis once said, the most 
dangerous tyrant is the one who rules you for your own good. For your own good. He says the the, the, the tyrant who, who oppresses you for your own good is dangerous because they will torture and kill you and sleep soundly at night. Their conscience will never bother them, bother them because they're doing it for your own good. Well, that's some extreme words from C.S. Lewis, and I don't think it has direct application to today. But be careful of people who think they're doing it for your own good. They have no qualms in what they do. There's a lot to learn from these times that we need to change, we know, and do better moving forward. But that doesn't change the fact a year in, you might be fed up. If somebody came along tomorrow and said, I could stop it all, and life will go back to how you imagine. It might not have been that much better, but you imagine it was much better. Big birthday parties, picnics, family gatherings, thousands at a, at a wedding or a celebration rather than 20. You know, you would jump at the chance. Well, imagine people in far more dire circumstances than us who had been not locked up for a year, but they had been under the boot of Rome now for almost a century. If they think Jesus is the coming King and the Messiah, they are going to embrace Him. Embrace Him. And that's what we see on Palm Sunday. Rather than a religious celebration, it was a political demonstration bordering on a riot. And the people were using political symbols because we've talked about it before. The palm branch was a symbol of Jewish nationalism that they were waving. Hosanna. Hosanna is a cry of hope. A cry of hope. As they shouted Hosanna and waved those branches, in one way it looked like a religious celebration because they used palm branches during the festival of the booths and tabernacles, the festival of Sukkot. And one of the psalms of that religious holiday was Psalm 118. And when they cry Hosanna, they're actually quoting Psalm 118. Hosanna to the king. Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's out of Psalm 118. We see the passage in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, which is the triumphal entry of Jesus on the first Palm Sunday. We read the next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Boy, that's political. You be careful. Remember the Sanhedrin during Jesus' trial? Didn't want to be uh, persecuted. So they said, we have no other king but Caesar. Well, here the crowd says, Jesus is our king. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus didn't disappoint. It says he found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, this is a prophecy of the Messiah from Zechariah. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. When they said Hosanna, that's the Hebrew word Hosanna, which means save us. Save us. They wanted to be saved politically, economically religiously Jesus save us and he is the savior 
That's why he came. To save us. But friends, it wasn't to deliver us from those circumstances of everyday life that we didn't like. He had a much greater, much greater mission that he sought to accomplish. He wanted to save us from sin and death. And that's what Jesus brings freedom. We're longing to be free. And I want to remind you that first and foremost today, in Jesus, we're free from sin and death. We have freedom. We have the most important freedom of all. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do you get in Christ Jesus? Through putting your faith in Him. Saved by faith. You are in Christ positionally. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Jesus brought freedom. He brought freedom to the people of His day who put their faith in Him. He offers freedom to you and I today. Freedom from the law of sin and death. What's that law? To put it simply, it is that the wages of sin is death. That our sin, anything we think, say, or do, which is apart from God's good and perfect will, that sin separates us from God. Spiritually and physically, we die. We're separated from Him. It's a law. It always happens. How to be saved from death, which is the result of our sin? Well, the law of the Spirit of life, Jesus, took your place. He paid the price for your sin upon the cross. God's wrath fell on Him, not on you. And you can have that free gift of life through putting your faith in Jesus. You've been set free. Free indeed. Jesus used that very term of Himself in John chapter 8 when He was in contention with the Jewish teachers of the time. Jesus speaking to them said in John 8 beginning in verse 31, To the Jews who had believed Him, Jesus said, If you hold to My teaching, you're really My disciples. It means His followers. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered Him, We're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. Well, they forget the Egyptians and the, and the Greeks and now the Romans. Yeah, they're in bondage to everybody, but they're very proud people. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Did you get that? Jesus is offering not only forgiveness of sin, salvation, eternal life, but he is offering you through faith in him a place in God's own family to be adopted into the very family of God. And he says, you are in the family forever, like a son. It's not temporary, it's forever. Free indeed, and a member of God's family. That's the freedom Jesus offered 
as he rode into Jerusalem. They wanted something. They thought it was more to be the king of Israel politically, but they were actually asking for something far less than what Jesus offered them. And it's not just that we put up with the circumstances, but in Christ, we live far beyond them. Because this next point is that in Jesus, we're not slaves to circumstances. Circumstances. Those are the things that make up your life. They can be good circumstances. We live in a wonderful country. We live in relative freedom. Even in the midst of the pandemic, we have far more freedom than much of the world. We get frustrated because we had it so good. Now we still have it good, but it's a little less good, and we get tired of that. But we're blessed. But your circumstances can be serious. You can be in a dysfunctional family. You can be struggling with an emotional, crippling emotional affliction. You can have a physical illness. Your circumstances can be good and easy to deal with, or they may be hard. When things are good, let's be honest, we barely notice them. We generally, when we're talking about circumstances, talk about the difficult things of life. I love farmers. Have you ever noticed farmers don't want to talk about circumstances unless they're hard ones? You know, when things are going really good, they're uncomfortable. When things are too dry or too wet or the bugs are too plentiful or the mold and the diseases are... Well, that's when a farmer gets kind of excited and can talk because, you know, they're not complaining. They're just talking about it. Those are circumstances. Those are interesting. And we're dealing with those. But you know, in Jesus, you're never a slave to your circumstances. You're not too poor. You're not too alone. You're not too anything in Christ. And there's a reason for that. We see some of that in these two verses. The first one here on the screen is Matthew 28. Jesus, at the very end of the gospel, at the end of the the Great Commission, he made a promise to his followers. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why are you set free from circumstances? Number one, the presence of Jesus. You you can't say I'm alone because Jesus is with you. He's always with you. I can't face this. I'm all alone. I'm feeling it's too much for me. Your friend is by your side. Remember the presence and practice the presence of Jesus. Surely I will be with you always. It's a promise. We have the presence of Jesus. Secondly, John 14, 30, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Oh, there are circumstances that can scare us. You know when I really am worried and afraid? It's never for myself. It's for my loved ones. It's for kids, grandkids, church family. That's when we worry, often for others. But Jesus not only promises his presence, but he gives us his peace. His peace. A peace that passes human understanding because God's very spirit guards our hearts and our minds. Some of you have been through such deep waters. Some of you have walked through the valley of the shadow with loved ones. But you're still here because God is with you and He walked with you. 
And he gave you a peace that you wouldn't have understood if you hadn't gone through that hard thing. You have the presence and the peace of Jesus. And with those comes something wonderful. The Apostle Paul, who was blessed in so many ways, but suffered so much from the circumstances of life. He listed it before how many times he was beaten and tortured and imprisoned and shipwrecked and hungry and starving and rejected by his people and all alone, but he could still do it. He could still do it. And in his letter to the church in Philippi, this is a church that had been out of touch with him for some time. And then they caught up with him. And when their messenger arrived, he had a gift of finances to support the Apostle Paul and care for him. And in saying his thank yous for that, Paul wrote this. Philippians 4 verse 10, I rejoice greatly, he said, in the Lord, that at last you have renewed your concern for me Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Paul learned the lesson that when you have the presence of Jesus, when you have His peace ruling your heart and mind, you have the power to face any circumstance and be content. I'm content whatever the circumstance. You can't get me down. I'm perplexed. But I'm never crushed, never destroyed, Paul says. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. So friend, you have the presence of Jesus. You have His peace and you have His power that comes with Him in your life to face your circumstances. That brings the final P, perseverance. Oh, you can get through a COVID pandemic. God's people got through far worse from the Romans. Over the years, they were persecuted by so many things in so many ways. But God's people are still here still loving, and still serving. And if I'm honest, that's my greatest regret in the pandemic, that Canada and all the nations have turned away from the group of people who historically have always been the greatest help in times of plague and trouble, the Christian church. Whether it was the Black Death of Europe or the plague of Justinian that devastated the world far worse than anything we experience today, it was always the Christians that didn't run away from the illness, but ran toward it to help the people who were suffering, many of them giving their lives in doing that. Because we know that physical health is not the end-all or be-all. We've been willing to lay down our very lives for the love of Jesus and to show it and that message to live it out for those around us. We are not slaves to circumstances. Well, friends, in wrapping up talking about your freedom today, I don't want to just talk what you're free from. You're free from sin and death. You're free from slavery to circumstances. Because you've been given freedom in Christ for a reason. It's a tool for you to use to bless others. <clears throat> Last point in Jesus, 
we're free to serve. Free to serve. You have been set free. And you no longer live your life wrapped up only in yourself and your own needs. If you are, you're on the wrong track. You have been set free to serve. A person who would use their freedom in Christ strictly for themselves, Bible's not a big fan of that. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul directs that very point. Galatians 5 verse 13, Paul says, You, my brothers, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh or the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. You've been set free by the love of God to be able to share that love with others, to serve your neighbors, to be there for those in need. As the religious leaders asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. The point is, the one in need, and you're aware of that need, that's your neighbor. That's the one you show love to. As we talked a couple weeks ago about sharing our faith and modeling what Jesus is in our communities, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that one of the important things in serving others is to be willing to give them what's been a blessing to you. If they're hungry, you give them food. If they're lost in their sin, you give them Jesus. You share the good news with them. The beginning of that wonderful passage, you remember it, where Paul says, I will do anything to win some people to Christ. To the Jews, I'll be a Jew. To those without the law, I'll live like a Gentile. He said, I'll do it all. I'll be weak to the weak just to win some to Christ. Paul starts that whole passage with this verse. Verse 19. Though I am free, there's their freedom. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He's not saying he sold himself into Roman slavery. He was a free citizen of Rome. What he's saying is, I am a servant to all. There's nobody that I think I'm bigger and higher than. I put everybody above myself. I put others before myself. Why? Not because he's a masochist, but because he loves them and wants them to know Jesus as their Savior. Finally, friends, Jesus left us that great example of servant leadership. He was a servant. And he showed us that. This week, we call it Holy Week. It begins in Palm Sunday. It goes to Easter Sunday. But on Thursday, we remember that on the eve of the Passover, in the upper room, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. The lowest job on the totem pole. The rabbi doesn't wash his students' feet. That's a servant, the lowest servant in the household. Because these people walk dusty roads, open sewers, with sandals on. You don't want to be the foot washer in that house. That's all I'm saying. They were too proud to wash one another's feet. So Jesus did it for them. And what did he say after he did that? They were sitting there feeling guilty and put upon and Jesus told them this. When he had finished washing their feet, 
he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This reminder of your freedom ends with a promise. And the promise is of a blessing. Have you ever noticed that the best you feel in your walk as a Christian is when you have shown the love of Christ in a practical way? It might be something simple. Maybe you were weeding a flower bed for somebody, shoveling snow for them, sitting with them and at their bedside as they were recovering in a hospital, visiting people in jail. When you were being Jesus in that situation as his follower and you were serving and he forgot all about yourself, it was about that person. And you come home worn out and tired, but you feel so good. You've been blessed. Well, that's what God calls us to do with our freedom. You're blessed to be a blessing. Let's take that message to heart at the beginning of this Easter week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. Not only, Lord, did he come to save us from sin, but Lord, you saved us to life. And it's a life of freedom. Children of God in the very family of God, set free from sin, but also set free from selfishness, Lord, so that in our freedom, we can use it to serve others. Lord, some days when we get up, life looks hard in front of us. A year into this pandemic, Lord, the restrictions are grating on people's nerves. But Lord, we're not slaves to our circumstances because we're free people set free by God. So Lord, help us to be gracious and patient during these times that are difficult, but call for it. And help us, Lord, to see the opportunities for love and service so that we can share the greatest thing of all the good news of the gospel with people who need to hear it so that people can be one from sin and death and darkness to light and life. Thank you for our freedom, Father. May we use it for what it's meant to be used for. What a blessing it is. And now, Father, as we go from this place of fellowship and hearing your word, send us where we can be used, where we can use our freedom to have an impact for the kingdom of God. Send us to our personal mission fields. This is our prayer, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and keep you. We'll see many of you Tuesday night next door for our business meeting and others for our exciting family uh, event on Saturday morning. And then next Sunday, uh, come out if you desire for Easter. We'll have as much overflow as we need, both in the boardroom and next door in the fellowship center. If you want to be physically in the sanctuary part and not see it on the big screen next door, you might need to come a little bit early. But uh, some of you may want to come early and take a place in the overflow already to allow visitors and others to be here in the sanctuary. 
God bless you and keep you.